the bottom line. On News Radio 610, KONA, from the Tri Cities to Olivia to DC, we break down, break it all down the stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. With your hosts, Rob Francis and Ed Dawson. Bottom line, News Radio 610K, one hour number two on your Wednesday afternoen. Phone number is 547 You can email us, 610K1A.com, the bottom line page, your name, where you're listening, what you would like to say. We're on Twitter at Bottom Line 610, Facebook at the Bottom Line 610. The free mobile app is available to you as well through the Google Play and the Apple Stores. You can shoot us a message through there. Rob Francis said, Dawson will be joining us in studio representing the 8th Legislative District in the State House. Representative Matt Banky, good afternoon to you, sir. Thanks for coming in. Good afternoon, and good to see Ed in here. Ed's, Ed really makes this whole thing <laughs> he work. Does. He, he does. does. He does. I missed Ed. I, I know yeah, you did. I did. Thanks, I know Ed. You did. Good to see Ed. Always a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my but, gosh. We're off to a rousing start. Yes, we are. <laughs> but uh, so we're gonna we're, we're gonna leave the the legislative and state stuff uh, on the off the table for a few minutes. We want to talk first uh, what you what's been your forte for a very long time, from the time you were in the military uh, to your courses at CBC, and that is cybersecurity. We have seen a number of instances over the course of the last month where uh, issues have arisen due to whether it's foreign parties, whether it's domestic parties. Basically, we've got people that are able to get into our infrastructure through computers, backdooring things, ransomwares, hacks, uh, everything else. And it's created issues, I mean, between the meatpacking plant and the pipeline. It's created disruptions in the chain. To differing degrees, the meatpacking wasn't as bad as the as the the pipeline, but we we sit there we look at this, and my first question is: in 2021, when we know this is out there and we know that this is a a, a true threat, how is it that something like a pipeline can get hacked in 2021? Well, I tell you, it's a best question. Thanks for the intro as well, because you know it's near and dear to my heart. They've been working on this for years. And, and frankly, out of the pipeline, we heard they went through an audit in 2018 and the initial results came back that they identified this problem, that they even gave them a course of action, a plan to fix the problem with resources to fix it, and they didn't fix it. And that's the scarier part of we've already identified these things. We've gone through a process. Make sure that then it comes down to if the thing shut down, we were always taught where's the manual backup to make sure it continues to flow, to continue to stay operational. In the military, you always have contingency plans. You want to make sure that you're rehearsing these plans with skilled people who are in place. Some people say we've automated too much. We've taken that human out of the loop so we don't get in that area. Other people are saying it's now a training education issue that we need to have. But one way or the other, ransomware is becoming one of the biggest threats to our environment as well as our nation. I think this is getting to be a, a threat to all of us. Now, I can understand if you're a Christmas tree farm or a fireworks stand or you're a seasonal business that doesn't have year-round funds or, oh, I don't know, you might not be an oil pipeline where the demand is always there, that you are usually raking in the dough. Why would you ignore a recommendation to increase your security and your infrastructure, knowing full well that what you supply 
is always in demand. It's not like you're going to be down a month and you can't afford to do something like this. The cost can't be that prohibitive to increase your cybersecurity base. So why would an oil pipeline ignore this recommendation other than they just didn't care to do it? That's it. It comes down to priorities of leadership. If that you have that priority, you're going to put resources against that, and you're going to make sure you have that plan, plans in place. We discuss defense in depth. We teach it. We educate others about have these different areas of like a moat in the old castle kind of thing. So you have the moat. You have things around the castle. You have defending areas that you can go through this defense in depth. And, and what you do is then you prioritize resources against it. So many years we've had cybersecurity, and the more we've seen people going online with education, with families, with kids – and how much we're opening up the Internet to all kinds of stuff and how we're centralizing services, we're now getting to the point of this is a high-critical area that needs to be a priority where there are people who have that. You're right. We saw lines at gas pumps for the first time since the late 70s when I was a kid going, you got to be kidding me. And it's because of a cyber hack? you got to be kidding me. There's so many things we can defend against it, and they're really not that hard of things that we can do. We're talking with Representative Matt Banky from the 8th Legislative District here on the bottom line, talking cybersecurity, which is uh, Representative Banky's forte in the real world. Um, well, you know, because it's... it's it's Like that's a fake world? <laughs> well, <laughs> your full-time Sorry. job. Yes. Well, sometimes yeah. it feels like it is. It's true. <laughs> sometimes it feels like it's a fake world over there. <laughs> well, actually, anytime the governor talks, it feels like the fake world. But um, <laughs> somebody's living in the dream and it ain't us. True. We're in true. the nightmare. <laughs> But let, so so let's let's kind of zoom in and, and work our way out because obviously with this focus with this knowledge and how much experience you have in this field, let's let's look at the counties. All right, let's look at at our areas and our infrastructures. What would you say the percentage of security is right now, or the percentage that you feel comfortable in saying that our grid in Benton County and Franklin County, our grids in these two counties, are secure? from a hack that could hit our energy, that could hit our gas, that could hit um, that could hit the dams. So, how 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 protected do you feel we are in Benton and Franklin counties? I I would say we're more protected than the average community. You look across the board, we have vast resources. PNNL, for example, they have a cybersecurity program, and they're on our advisory board, also with Washington State University, to where we're training workforce to get out in the community and assist. They also manage a security operations center, so they're tracking what you mentioned, the grid, the viability of the grid, resilience of the grid from whether it's nuclear, solar, energy, to wind, you name it, even the hydro, on how we can develop out what's going on. A lot of this is ensuring that we have the latest capabilities of the newest computers. Those who don't are going to be highly encouraged to make sure they get up to speed. But right now, I would say we're close to 60 70% better than the average bear. There's still a big gap that it's not a priority. But having them on board, having the emphasis that we've seen in the community that we're out here, uh, having the program going six years now with uh, CBC, but also with WSU having their expertise, I think we're better off than most. But it's still... It's At the end of the day, they always have the advantage. The criminal element's going to just continue to find out that whole adage of the Chinese uh, theory of we're just going to continue to find that one weak spot, and then we're going to exploit that weak spot. It could be somebody who clicks on a phishing email and starts that phishing attack, and then it goes in, escalates it, then it becomes taking over that grid, and that's where you have to have some of those defense and depths in there. But 
Now, we're fortunate to have a private company that's a contractor like PNNL that looks at this as a priority and devotes time and resources to that. Where are we government-wise? Where are we, and and whether we want to put it as the county government, city governments, and then work our way to the state government and the priority on that, where are we with the resources and the capabilities at the government level to protect the things that are government hackable? Well, the good news, kind of wearing both hats now, the one who's in the fake the world fake or whatever world, yes. that you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fake <laughs> yeah being the part-time a, job. The part-time yeah. job, that's kind of sort of. <laughs> when I was... Um, Good news, serving on the Kennewick City Council and even work with Richland and the area councils, we plussed up our IT services. Everybody at that point, even pre-COVID, was getting online. They were moving pieces online. They were buying or employing more individuals who had the training to update websites, those kind of things, and be more aware. And then that's that education program into the counties to where we could see that we're centralizing a lot of systems to the state. And what you mentioned, the good news is we're collaborating a lot. Everything was kind of going together. Bad news is not all of it did. And so when we moved into COVID, a lot of the schools were being attacked. A lot of things were going on to now that we allowed it to go into your homes. And then the visibility of actually turning on cameras into individuals' home became now, uh, I guess, uh, another pathway for the criminal element to go, well, I don't need to go dumpster diving or go through the front door of the old ways of criminal activity. Now I just can hack into Zoom and I can go into the classroom. Now I get whatever Susie or Johnny's house even looks like, whether they're there or not. Uh, we have ring cameras in everybody's homes now. We have people who have Amazon Alexa, Google Homes, those that are now devices that, if not handled properly, can be exploited for a criminal element. I don't have any of those. Good. I don't trust I'll Tell you, when my dad's listening, he's like, he turned his off. And I don't, he, I don't he trust He said, them. take this out of my house. Uh-huh. <laughs> Same thing. I don't thing. trust him at all. <laughs> don't trust him at all. We're going to take a quick time out. Bottom line, News Radio 16K. We'll come back with more Representative Matt Banky. And, and by the way, all joking aside, that part-time, that quote, part-time job, it's been coming increasingly important uh, because of all of the issues facing particularly eastern Washington. And, of course, now, um, and I don't know if you got wind of this, but Ecology is going after farmers in Whatcom County for water rights. Yep. And it's you've got agriculture in the western side of the state is now coming under fire uh, by agencies under the rule of Dear Leader. And uh, it's... You just shake your head and wonder, what? when is it going to stop? What's next? More of the bottom line after this. Now back to the bottom line on News Radio 610 KONA. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. It's your voice, your show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610. Bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. Wednesday afternoon, Jason Hogate with American Family Insurance. Contact Jason today. Check out your policies. Do you think you're paying too much? Do you think you're not getting enough coverage? Jason will help you go through that with your auto policy, your homeowner's insurance, your life insurance, farm, and small business insurance. If you got questions about Mike Kreidler's emergency order, what's it going to do to your credit rating? What's going to, or what's going to do to your insurance rates with your credit not being allowed anymore? Jason can answer that for you as well. In fact... Tomorrow afternoon, Jason will join us to answer those questions as well about the long-term care insurance policies and what's going on with those in Washington State. You can contact Jason through his website, jasonhoke.com.
Representative Matt Banky from the 8th Legislative District joining us this afternoon. And always thank you for your time, sir. We do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, let me ask you this, because we know we've heard about the hacks that have happened in the past, you know, Target, Sony, where data has been collected and, you know, people's credit card numbers. Okay. But we also know that we had a state agency that was the victim of a scam. Two scams at least, that we know of right now. Um, you know, a Nigerian prince walked away with almost a billion dollars in money. Um, when a private business gets hacked, you know the information that you give a private business. When a government agency gets hacked, however, there's a lot more personal private information that can be obtained by the hackers than just your credit card number, which is bad enough, but you just call and cancel that credit card. Right. You've got social security information, you've got birth dates, you've got medical information potentially. You've got a lot more out there that 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 you know really fills out the the hacker wish list. So how secure are our government agencies? Not very, I tell you. A lot less than you'd realize. We just recently passed a bill to make sure we have the Office of Cybersecurity in the state of Washington at the Chief Information Office the agencies that we work with. So I thankfully have been uh, asked to lead the efforts for the House Republican side of being on the Technology Services Board. That actually is the oversight for the Office of Chief Information Officer. Uh, we've been helping out to try to advocate to ensure that there's resources available in the cybersecurity area. It's been denied. It's not a priority, was what we're hearing. Of course, we have everything else, defund the police, those priorities in, in front of that. Uh, but anyways, then and the, along comes the covid we have ESD hit, and of course, because of some leadership challenges, we reduce the validation verification when people apply, so therefore opens the door for an opportunity for a criminal element. As you noted, there's some criminal prints or somebody's made a lot of money, we still can't find it. Then, of course, then that data, it's we call PII, personal identify information, that it was gathered from the state, a lot of different agencies that's consolidated for many uses, now pushed over to the state auditor's office looking at it. The auditor then gets hacked. So now they've got the mother load of things that are going on throughout the states and people who don't even live here, frankly. Is there a state agency? Can you just mention this this oversight right. committee okay, yep. that you're a part of? Is there a state agency that's responsible for this? Is this the auditor's job? Is this is there a state agency responsible to make sure that the other agencies are up to snuff and up to code or is that something that just hasn't been done and now we have to create a new committee? We had to create the Office of Cybersecurity because it was not getting done. By which which state agency was supposed it, to do it, it? When you look at the state constitution, there are several people who says, no, it's your job, it's that job. Of course, I know it scares you. Shocking yeah, that one would point to the other and say, yeah, it's not really ours to do that. And, and then you look behind it and actually peel back the onion. They don't have the power to actually enforce that. And that's where just even setting up an agency – is one thing, but then actually then coming through there and saying, no, you have the power to go ahead and start doing audits, inspections, actually looking into the logs. Are they following procedure? Is the policy there? Right now we don't have policies. We don't have basic common standards. We don't have the best business practices that everybody else is held accountable to, even in our own state. Well, it's a good thing with a $2.6 billion revenue surplus, we won't have to raise taxes to take care of these issues. Oh, wait, Uh, wait, sorry, I spoke too soon. (laughs) Yeah, I think we're raising taxes, too. Apologize, I spoke too soon. Uh, One of the kind of elephants in the room, I don't know if we'll be able to get to it before the the break at the bottom of the hour, maybe we can touch on a little bit. 
um, is, you know, we talked about cyber hacks, ransomware, companies, uh, government agencies, uh, trying to, you know, and the criminals try to get money extracted out of there. Not many people want to talk about, uh, for political reasons, um, how easily or not elections could be hacked. If county auditors' offices uh, or even the state secretary of state's office is hooked up to the internet, um, that I would guess, being a layperson in this area, that it could be done. Uh, but again, that idea is not talked about because of the political nature, certainly of last November. In your in your expert opinion, um, how easily could that have been done? And maybe should we look at the possibility of beefing up security, whatever did or didn't happen last November? Should we be looking at beefing up our security at the election level? So any computer that's connected to the internet is a possibility of getting hacked, whether it's your phone, whether it's, you know, laptop, iPad, election as well. And then within that software should be to a point of where somebody is showcasing to where they're running through tests to make sure we validate they have the latest software, they're updated with latest patches. And then what we do is we teach about how you can run scans against it. So we try to simulate hackers coming at you and then where you can defend against that to find holes in your armor or in that defense in depth that we talked about before and that we can mention uh, things that need to be out there. We need to increase our robust teams that can go out and do that. And prior to this last year, I know our Secretary of State really well, and Kim Wyman had even tapped into our resources in the military. We have National Guard units throughout the state that do this. They do this for real. They do this at different areas. We're trying to work with that in conjunction with our colleges, technical colleges, and others in the communities. And then, of course, le- reaching out to experts from PNNL to Microsoft to others to say, hey, how can we do this with non-disclosure agreements? things that we make sure that we have a robust system. Uh, Getting back to the previous question, we didn't have an office of cybersecurity, so it was up to elections to run it. Uh, Elections people aren't, they, I don't know if anybody has a cybersecurity degree up there. I'm the only one as a legislator, I think, in the history that actually have a degree in the state legislature doing it. When I asked the committees who's actually running this, they're looking around to find who's that subject matter expert or trying to go out and subcontract that, which is another problem we have. Uh, my point is we have the resource available, we have it there, but no one's really put together that structure in place to get a program that's developed, matured enough to develop these procedures and then train individuals to find out what we should do. I, I believe before any election at any level, Uh, The more we automate those, the more we should put the standards in place prior to. We should make them accredited, make sure they run through these tests to simulate these hacks as much as we can. Because, of course, not everything's going to be foolproof. There's always going to be that one place or that chink in the armor. But we can make sure the public knows that we're doing all we can to to secure our elections for sure. Going to take a quick time out. Back with more on the bottom line. News Radio 610-KONA with Representative Matt Bakey from the 8th Legislative District. We'll talk... Some state issues as well when we come back, but with all of the attention turned and facing cybersecurity, we figured we'd bring the expert in and talk to him about where we stand and where we sit and what the risks are. And the risks are everywhere. It's up to you to make sure that you are protected. 
Back with more of the bottom line after this. Hook up with the bottom line on Twitter at bottom line 610. Now, back to the show presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. Back at the bottom line, News Radio 610K, 185471610 to get involved. Windermere Group One. 72SoulTriCities.com. If you're going to put your home on the market, if you're thinking about getting in and starting that process, talk to the experienced realtors with Windermere Group One. Go to 72SoulTriCities.com. Look at the website. Read the testimonials from people that have taken part of the program. You're going to find out really quick that they received multiple offers, and more often than not, they sold their home for thousands of dollars more than the original asking price. Get involved in the program. Talk to an experienced realtor with Windermere Group One. Start at the website. 72soldtricities.com. Don't leave offers and don't leave money on the table. Representative Matt Banky from the 8th Legislative District joining us here on the bottom line this afternoon. Um, we've talked quite a bit about what's at risk, of course, cybersecurity-wise. Um, we know that uh, the the state agencies have, have a ways to go here, um, and it's, it's typical – Inslee administration to point fingers everywhere other than uh, yourself to take the responsibility to fix the problem. Uh, it's always somebody else's issue, always somebody else's problem, always somebody else's concern with the Jay Inslee administration. Um, so, you know, at some point in time, when the next agency gets hit, you know, maybe maybe the Seattle Times will actually finally get on them, or maybe they'll just sweep that one under the rug, too. Um, but this is our information. This is this this is and this is the difference between the, the the government and and a private business. We volunteer the information to a private business. If you want to target credit card, you have to give them information they're asking for. If you don't want to target credit card, you don't. Right. But the government demands certain information from you to be able to have on file, to be able to hold on to, to be able to verify things. The government demands the information. You don't have a choice. Right. And so these hackers that have the ability to get into government agencies will get that information that you don't have a choice to withhold from the government. Exactly. And I'll add to that. Most of the smart experts in cybersecurity who are working in our government, state, local, county agencies, usually get snatched up to bigger salaries and bigger paying jobs and things like that. So we don't have sometimes the highest quality of individuals at these levels in these positions. We have to go out to the market, the private agencies, to assist us in supporting that. But until, and I have this trend, until it gets worse, it's going to get better. Sadly, when these numbers go up, until it hits individuals in the pocketbook, resources, then people will prioritize efforts to try to combat this. So let me see if I can follow this. The good people that we can't keep in the government agencies go to work for outside firms, and then we hire people to replace them, and then we go hire the firm that they went to go work at and contract them out because the people that we have can't do it, so we're double spending, basically. That's it. We're paying twice for the same product. Pretty much. Well, that's good. That's yep. government at its finest. That's that's efficiency. That is. That's why we, that's why we can't decrease taxes, Ed. <laughs> because we're double paying for cybersecurity. That's right. What's the old adage? Uh, why pay X when you can pay twice for the same thing? That's Absolutely. Right. That's, that's, a, right. that's a fine burger, apparently. It's a really good burger. That's how you get a $150 hammer in the military. Yeah, I was going to say. It's, or the Defense Department. Yes. You know. 
$150 hammer. Well, that was when I went in before Desert Storm, so I'm sure oh, so, so it's gone up a little bit yeah. Yeah. now. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Sorry. Adjusted for inflation. I do remember that so, story, though, and you're yeah. right. It probably is about $1,500. Bucks it's, so let me ask you this, because now, obviously, we're we're on the heels of the forecast today. $2.6 billion in, in increased revenue. I think one point eight wasn't planned for. Right. Um, so we, we've got a we've got a nice chunk of change there, um, and I'm sure in the coming short session, Democrats will want to raise taxes somewhere else, claiming that that we have to do this for some reason that just doesn't pass muster. Uh, at what point in time? And I know this is a broader question, certainly maybe not something under your purview, but maybe you you have an opinion on it. Uh, at what point in time, because you spend more time on the West Side than I do, is this sentiment, is this going to actually break its way through and this this stranglehold that Democrats have on the state legislature is is going to loosen a little bit? Because there has to be a point in time where you just can't keep raising taxes. I believe the stranglehold's starting to loosen as we speak. People are starting to... You see it at school board meetings. People are starting to engage and actually go to meetings and actually ask questions. They're actually challenging policies like this and saying, why do we need 50 more cents on our gas tax? Where is it going? I mean, those really, you know, definitive challenging questions. I tell people, just ask the basics. Where is your dollar going? And is it benefiting you the best it possibly can? with the leadership in there. And now people are seeing that and they're saying, why do we need this? When we put a package together early on in this last session, even on zoom with everything going on that will pay for everything in the budget, everything, even stuff we didn't even want, it would pay for it all without contingencies. And then they added these taxes. You know, you, you've heard that, that wistful thing that people will do every once in a while. If I was King for a day, right? Right. If I was, you know, president or whatever, if I was chairman of the Washington state Republican party, I'm going to play that one. Okay. Okay. I'm going to play that one. The first thing I would do on the heels of this is turn around and advocate for anyone that is right of center to move out of Seattle. Leave Seattle. Move out of Seattle. Because the direction the Seattle City Council now wants to go, especially if Lorena Gonzalez becomes mayor, is going to be completely counterproductive to any conservative value on the face of the planet. So if you're a conservative, move out of Seattle. Move into the surrounding areas of King County if you want to stay in King County. Or move into the surrounding areas outside of King County because that's the full court press now. The full court press is Jefferson County. It's Kitsap County. Those are the areas that the that the press has to be on to let these people know that these policies are going to harm you more than anybody that lives in Seattle. Seattle can weather and withstand this because they are the tech center. Right. They have the highest salaries. They can pay more in taxes and still be able to go out and buy a Tesla. It's not going to hurt them. It's going to hurt you in Jefferson County. It's going to hurt you in Pierce County. Pierce County. It's going to hurt you in Thurston County. It's going to hurt you everywhere other than the city of Seattle. It's going to hurt you in the outlying areas of King County. So if I was the Washington State Republican Party chairman, I would be on a full court press in those counties with the with any elected yeah. Republican official, be it at the local level and out there telling these people and laying it for them in numbers. Right. You know, the governor wants to talk about data. Here's data. 
Here's what's coming out of your pocket. Let's break down how this is going to impact you and affect you. Let's start with low income at the gas pump, and let's take it, and we'll go up from there. That's the full-court press that turns things back to purple in some of these areas instead of being blue. That's exactly right. And that's not being done. No. It's not being done. There is no... It's wonderful press releases talking about how bad things are and finger-wagging, but there's nothing turning around and showing people exactly why they need to change their vote. Exactly. We had to coin the term in, in Iraq during the time we were losing the fight to actually get out into the streets, get out in the communities. We got to do that. We got to show and we got to educate people. This is where it goes. And to my previous mentor who's passed away, Bob Olson, who I helped uh, with on the city council, he helped me run against him, frankly. He always came out with a dollar. And in that dollar, he always had how much that percentages was going toward sales tax, property tax, or and how much that would go up. And he even had it shaded in. He carried that everywhere he went. He goes, here it is. It's easy to show on anybody can see it on a dollar. You know, and the craziest thing is we have one dedicated fund yep. in the state. One. Which means all of this stuff that they keep throwing down our throats, this long-term care thing, okay, where's it go? The general fund yep, goes into the general fund. And all of that time, so if you're, the, if you're 25 years old and you're going to start paying into that thing, the most you're going to be able to get 50 years later is $36,000. If you trust your government, it's going to be there. In 30. If you trust that it's going to be there yeah. in 50 years. Otherwise, you're just paying another tax to go into the, into the yep. general fund to pay for whatever the heck they decide, which is why, because by law, you've got to have this plan... More people have realized what a sham it is at the government level and have decided to opt out and go for the private insurance, which has been overwhelmed in the state. So now they're shutting down the policies. So here's a question, Mr. State Representative. Will there be, knowing this is happening and knowing the full well that it's going to take the insurance companies time to get their bearings on this, Will there be an extension of this deadline to opt out past November in order to give residents of Washington State the ability to buy policies if they don't have the ability to buy policies in a reasonable time? I would say maybe a month from now would be a reasonable time. But if you get into September and you still can't buy a policy through a private insurance company, is there going to be an extension of that opt-out time to give people the ability to do that? Or basically they're going to herd you into the government paid program so right now they're going to try the herd and in the meantime so we had a great luncheon with the association washington business who brought this up a lot of people who were in the room are insurance agents and the businesses in our community came up right afterward and said is this true we need to know more about it frankly get out make sure you understand they're hosting webinars so everybody understands the impacts this is next week and by the end of the month before it actually you know implements uh, but our goal is to focus with them to make sure everybody gets choices and they have the opportunities to go ahead and purchase where they want to go. Of course, that's where this is limiting because this is a totally socialism towards forcing you into one option, and it's the government option. And if it's another case of you're going to ensure a trust into a government option that your money's going to be there and in 30 years, and by the way, if you leave the state, none of that's yours. None of that's going with you. So we'll we'll find out. I'll it, stay on top of it. We'll, 
Yeah, and you know, there are people that actually get upset when I say dear leader. I, I don't. I know, I know you Ed don't. doesn't either. Uh, no, <laughs> no, Ed no. doesn't either. But no. there are people that get upset when I say dear leader. They don't think that's fair. I think it is It is a term of endearment in communist and socialist countries, dear leader. So it's comrades. And, Absolutely. You know. so, well, you know, dear, dear leader's more like, I, I think, more fatherly. Fatherly? Yes, fatherly. Wow. Well, you know, it's, it's been handed down I, in North Korea. It's, I, it's, I learn a lot from these sessions we have. Well, thanks. Yeah. Back with more after this. Give us your bottom line. Call 509-547-1610. Now, back to the show. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. Bottom line, News Radio 610 K1A, final few minutes, Wednesday afternoon. Rob Francis said, Dawson with you, joining us in studio, represented from the 8th Legislative District, Matt Banky. Appreciate your time, as always, sir. Thanks for having me. Um, so we are one week away, supposedly, from the state reopening. Um, and, you know, the governor kind of threw a little thing, was it last week, Ed, where he where he kind of maybe teased that that maybe not, um, you know he's been fighting this this percentage thing in Washington State now King County is seventy percent, um, so King County's at seventy percent biggest county in the state hands down, um, but he's been pushing back on the fact that the state may be seventy percent, so it's led to some speculation that even though he said regardless June thirtieth we're reopening that he may pull back on that, considering he's also said that the emergency powers are not going to lift because, you know, well, the Delta variant could sweep in and kill everyone. Because we have to keep with that doom and gloom projection. We have to tell you, we still have to let you know in the back of your mind that you're going to die from this, even though 70% of the population has been vaccinated. Um, What reason, if the emergency power staying in effect when 70% of the population is going to be vaccinated, and it, it looks like, you know, we've got the skills and everything else to be able to manage where we are with this pandemic and even moving forward with a vaccine developed and so on and so forth. Why keep the emergency powers in effect? Ego. Uh, the only other reason is to keep the power close because we got the resources. We got the funding. We got the money from the federal government. And usually in emergency situations, it's to allow resources to be activated quicker to get policies in place, procedures in place to identify where the threats are and, and work out that that plan. Whether it's a flood, whether it's a fire, things to get resources to that area, we can imminent imminent danger and support people with safety and lives. We all have that. We're ready to go to reopen. And, and there's no other reason to have this. We need to open right now, frankly. When we're seeing and hearing what um, we're seeing and hearing what some of the agencies are doing, L&I, for one, uh, Kreidler has been on a tear. Um, you know, his, his self-righteousness seems to know no bounds. Uh, we, we're seeing these agencies abuse a power and authority because they are part of the executive branch. And the governor's emergency powers extend to them. So is it really the governor wanting to hang on to it for himself, or is it really the governor wanting to hang on to it so the uh, so the kids can play? Well, you know me after the last couple of years getting to know each other, and Ed, even better, you know. Uh, the way I always go back to is someone's leadership. And I haven't agreed with this governor's definition of what his leadership is, but a lot of times it's leadership by committee and whether it's his 
people like and people who support him <clears throat> enjoy one way or the other. But right now, it's holding that power in place as long as possible. And it's getting into those process procedures they want at the level of unelected officials in some cases that have more power than elected officials. I'll, and there's no accountability with these people. I'll take it a step it's ridiculous. further. I'll take it a step further. Yep. It seems like Kate Brown's been leading the state of Washington more than Jay Inslee. She has. And even Gavin Newsom. I've heard more stories about we're just waiting for California. Now California's open. We're watching baseball games in San Diego with the Mariners with full capacity crowds. But yet we couldn't do it here in our own stadium. Good grief. You know, there comes a point in time, I guess, when maybe people are now numb to it. Maybe they just don't care. Maybe people are doing whatever they want and they're not really paying attention to what he's saying. But but the problem with that, like everything else, you know, we talk about this ad nauseum. Uh, the reason why we're in the position that we're in with uh, school boards and city councils is because people ignore them and they That's let right. them get away with all these things and then they don't pay attention. And when they do finally realize it, your your year's too late. Exactly. And right. so now you've got to fix major issues. Well, we're fixing 40 years almost. That's exactly right. Actually, I'd say probably closer to 20, you know, because Gary Locke was a good governor. Yeah. Gary Locke yeah. was a good governor. So we, we're going back to 2004 when it started again. And Chris Gregoire wasn't terrible. No. But we started to see the uncontrolled spending under her, go, uh, under her, you know, time in the governor's mansion. Right. And now we're at a point where we're just, we're, we're, we are so off kilter with how things are coming down in the state that the only way it's going to get fixed, the only way it's going to get shifted, is for people on the west side of the state to wake up and vote out some of these people in, in, in risky districts. That's exactly right. But I, I tell people what we can do is manage what we can do locally. So go to the city council meetings, go to school board meetings, show up and be engaged and showcase that. And when you're talking, don't be afraid to stand up and have an opinion. You can be civil about it. We could have sure. civil discourse. We have that in several meetings around the communities and others. You know, a lot of nonpartisan, a lot of independents that you know as well as I stand up and they speak their minds on different things. And people shouldn't be offended to bring up their opinion like we used to be. What happened to that civil discourse? What happened to people actually bringing that to attention to others? And even just challenging someone's side of an argument, not the individual themselves. And mm-hmm. we forget that stuff. So. It's very easy these days for people to get offended, even right. about things that aren't offensive. If it's just something they don't like, it's now offensive. Right. We, we, we've 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 taken terminology that used to mean something, and we've we've made it meaningless. You know, I, I wonder how many people. It used to bother me if somebody called me a racist because that was a really bad thing. Now it gets thrown around like popcorn in a movie theater. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's been taken, the, the sting of the term has been taken out because every time you turn around, ah, this person's racist, this person's racist. I mean, just read half the people in the New York Times. They're calling everybody a racist. Yeah. Okay, well, then what is a racist? Yeah. Well, I have the same with being a military guy who's been to combat, who's been to war. When somebody comes up and says, are we in a war? Are we in battle? I said, I've been in a battle. I've been in combat. So this, this is a debate. We can have debates. We can work on different things. We can get passionate. We can be very passionate. But do we need to go to battle and war with our neighbors? We don't. I, we I, can... I bet you love it when athletes say in the locker room that they're soldiers. Yeah. I bet oh, you yeah. love it. Yeah. you got to be kidding. You're like, really? Come on now. And how many would change that for a day, you know, walking in combat boots? I think we should swap the pay, honestly. Exactly. We I agree with you. We should swap the pay. Well, I'll run that bill. Okay. (laughs) Sounds like a plan. We'll start with the National Guard. That's right.
That'll do it for the for the bottom line. News Radio 610 KONA this Wednesday afternoon. Special thanks to Representative Matt Banky from the 8th Legislative District for joining us. And thanks to State Senator Perry Dozier for giving us a shot in the last hour.